Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Jason Tucker, and this is Dave Water Cooler, episode number 270. Today's topic is GDPR and WordPress part two. This is where I we're actually going to have a discussion about it. <laughs> we had an amazing talk last week. Amazing talk last week from Leo. Leo just destroyed it, and I, I really appreciate the time that you took in, uh, in essentially doing a WordCamp talk in 30 minutes, uh, <laughs> you know, live on the air to an entire WordCamp all at the same time. So that was pretty amazing. Let's go around the room real quick, get everyone introduced before we uh, give uh, Leo any more praise. <laughs> Dave, Dave Zig himself, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am Dave Markowski. I am the AMPM for Pixel Jar. That's not going to work, dude. It's not going to It's not going to work. It's not what? fetch. Sorry, dude. <laughs> wait, wait. You're the AMPM. You are the morning and the evening. I the am sun the, and the, moon. the dusk and the dawn. <laughs> the alpha and the omega of pixel jar. People call you Dave Clock. <laughs> George, how about you? Tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm George Stefanis. I work at Automatic doing jetpack stuff. And in my spare time, I enjoy woodworking, which I randomly even doing at my desk because <laughs> why, not? why not? Nice. Good to have you on, George, as always. Jason Cosper, how about you? As Jason said, I'm Jason Cosper, and while Dave is over at the AMPM, uh, I'm more of a Circle K guy, and strange things are afoot. <laughs> I, I see that was coming. <laughs> uh, how about you, Leo? Oh, hi, guys. I'm Leo. Uh, I'm a WordPress consultant for XWP, and uh, I do a lot of things. But I uh, mostly try to avoid being made fun of by people that have really cool t-shirts and pretend that they're a clock all day long. <laughs> nice. How about you, Steve? Whoa, <laughs> Steve, what the heck is going on with you, man? What's that? What's, oh, you're talking about the on. Yeah, I know. All right. I know. Counselor, um, greetings, yeah. Lord Business. <laughs> What's it looks like, I know. I like I, you're uh, getting your high school picture taken, too. <laughs> That's what the, the backdrop back looks like, doesn't it? It looks like it. Um, I am Steve Zengin. I'm the founder of Zeek Interactive, and I run the OC WordPress Meetup. And I'm also the lead organizer for WordCamp Orange County. Tickets go on sale in an hour. Woohoo! Nice. Buy your tickets now. I'm Jason Tucker. Well, not now, in an hour. Um, <laughs> I'm Jason Tucker. You can find me over at Jason Tucker on Twitter. My website is jasontucker.blog, and I do this show as well as a couple other shows on WPWarcore Network. Go over to WPWarcore.com. You can find out more information about that. All right, let's get started here. So let's talk a little bit about GDPR. So last week, Leo uh, did a whole 30-minute presentation, which should have been about four hours presentation <laughs> on GDPR. He just kind of stuffed it all in there and packaged it up and 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 just delivered it straight to you. So um, I'd imagine you guys have all watched it or you've seen it live. Let's discuss a little bit. So, you know, I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing uh, themes I'm seeing plugins I'm seeing all these people you know in the WordPress community that are essentially saying like yes we're doing GDPR stuff as well I mean um, you know you had uh, Beaver Builder put out a, a thing uh, last or this last week saying um, that they added that they added some additional functionality to their forms there's a bunch of these sorts of things that are happening and it's good to see some movement happening in this what do you guys think about this sort of thing to start out. Well, I mean, I think, um, and Leo's presentation is spectacular. I did get to see it in person as well with a little bit more time uh, allotted to it. Um, I think the important factor that that 
that we're seeing is how do we implement all of these things that are going on in our websites? So you kind of mentioned that Beaver Builder's addressing it in forms, which is one of the factors, but you've got, you've got issues like privacy policies, you've got issues like um, the double opt-in that's required. And I think some of the concern is gonna be how many people are implementing that in how many different ways and how do we come up with some kind of standardized approach so that we're looking at this as a, a holistic thing and not just I'm handling it this way, we're handling it this way, where we see kind of like, I've been looking at schema.org uh, stuff recently. You see a lot of different implementations and they don't all necessarily play well together. So that's my biggest concern right now. So so you're, you're more interested in standardization instead of the uh, kind of, oh crap scrambling <laughs> that everybody's been doing up to this point? Yeah. This leaves me to a really, really good point that I want to call out that's happening in the WordPress ecosystem, which is we have a really large working group, the GDPR compliance working group, uh, as part of the Makeup WordPress network of things. And uh, 4.9.6 and 4.9.7, uh, which are slated for release very, very soon. I think 4.9.6 is May 8th. Don't quote me. The internet's at that. <laughs> it, it'll start to include the you know, very first uh, and really important parts of privacy policy management tools and, and consent tools that we're, we're after. You know, And at the end of the day, like we don't want 90 plugins that do GDPR. We should just have core do it. Um, and also, like to, to completely call out what Core does, there are people who make really good solutions that can be standardized across the board that also have escaping and sanitization and schema built into the database structure from a high level, right? Like you want to be able to say, you know, robustly that we have an enterprise solution that works for small clients and big clients. So it's why it's one of the reasons why that we at XWP spend so much time doing core work. And what we what we try to do is oftentimes build stuff for clients and find a way to merge that back into core because realistically, we know this is the way to do open source at scale is to think about the best solution for everyone, not just for a given you know opportunity. And ideally, you know the work that we do, the work that you do can all build on that same piece so that GDPR has a single solution for uh, interfaces and consents. And ideally, we don't have 37 solutions that we have to figure out and have to deal with the legacy craft on. Yeah, man. Yeah, WooCommerce, uh, Jason, you you, uh, you posted a, a link in here in our chat regarding uh, WooCommerce and uh, how you guys over at LiquidWeb are doing this. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I. <laughs> working out on a plane, I, I was going to try to get uh, Andrew Norcross, who's done the all of this work on uh, our uh, WooCommerce GDPR uh, tie-in plugin. Um, it is, um, again, he's he's done the bulk of the work. He's done a lot of the work, um, but effectively it allows for uh, custom opt-in messages, um, related hooks, uh, data management, and export. And if you're looking at the link while I said that, you'll realize that I just read the readme. Um, but still... <laughs> Uh, and, and it also handles the user deletion requests as well. I, I want to make sure I cover all of the README. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but I it, the comments. Yeah. Can I, uh, but, I, I, I just want to call Andrew Norcross is going to be speaking at WordCamp Orange County as panel. And e-commerce is actually one of the most sensitive areas around GDPR. And so props to him. Uh, and you should buy a ticket in an hour when tickets go on sale. <laughs> Shameless plugs. <laughs> Shameless. Yeah, Shameless. absolutely. A Andrew has really put a lot of uh, you know research and work into this. Um, we put the plugin out to show what we were doing, uh, especially since 
Uh, there's conversation happening, you know, all around the, the community to be like, okay, here's what we've done. Um, you know, if uh, Wu wants to bring this into core, I know that they've been doing their own work. Uh, they want to crib anything from us. Cool, great, have at it. That's the wonder of open source, right? And George, you posted a link as well. As soon as I can take myself off mute. Yeah. I'll be doing some similar work in Jetpack with regard to um, a dedicated settings page for handling privacy documents as well as ways in opting out of activity tracking, all sorts of stuff, just to be more clear. I mean, we've always had everything covered by the automatic privacy policy, but we're trying to I don't know, be a bit more understandable, I guess. And honestly, um, as a as a freelancer, I actually, because of the way the automatic privacy policy is distributed, I actually used it for a basis of a lot of my work because they they distribute it under, I want to say it's the Creative Commons licensing so that you're able to use a bunch of it because it really kind of addresses a lot of the core issues. But the GDPR as a regulation has got a lot more specificity and a lot more um, granularity in explaining what you're doing and and getting that consent back. Those are really so, big words. They're they're some of my favorites too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that the the key thing that's missing here is making this understandable for folks who are kind of in either you know a freelance situation or a mid-level agency understanding what they have to do and how they can get their clients to understand um, what that compliance is going to look like and what changes they're going to require on their sites. I think, I think that that's going to be something that we need to communicate really well. Um, a really effective way to do that would be, you know, when you're drafting contracts or agreements with clients, you should be spelling out exactly what responsibilities you have. And one of them should be uh, what the privacy policy will look like, what fixes will look like, what rollouts will look like. Uh, and there should be, you know, either stated in the original contract or maybe as an addendum through a memorandum of understanding, an MOU, you want to be able to spell out how we're going to work through this and what it means and who's responsible for what. And realistically, if you're dealing with legal issues, you need to be going to a lawyer, not to your agency. Your agency is only one part of the larger puzzle. Um, it's in reality, if you get sued, they're not going to sue your agency. They're going to sue you, the client. <laughs> so, uh, and you the, you, the agency, are a processor. So you carry some burden of responsibility in this larger web of things. And you have a vulnerability if you don't have wow. documents in place. Because this story word again. Messy. <laughs> so, so, and that's actually a great question. So, Leo, are you actually a processor or are you a controller? Because I feel like, depending on what the requests are from the client, you may be acting as either under their direction. Typically, the person who's designing and constructing the data flows and data processes would be the controller. But because of the intimacy that some agencies have with services and service delivery, it is very well understood that you might actually be both, uh, depending on what data set you're talking about. Right. Um, it's very, very complicated, and I, I hate <laughs> reality. But like, I, I used to work for an agency that was extremely close to the ac action. Like, they didn't even give dashboard access to the clients. That was everything was run on WordPress. But they literally did all of the work. So 
some agencies that do that kind of work where they're far more hands-on are going to have to understand that they're carrying a larger amount of responsibility and probably a higher amount of exposure. But I can't confirm that because I am not a lawyer. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, that's kind of our favorite phrase. We're not a lawyer and we can't give you legal advice, but... It depends. <laughs> as a business person doing business things, this is your business advice, period. Well, but the, the business advice I can give you is uh, you can either spend a little now on hiring a lawyer or spend a lot later. It's, it's up to you. And you should listen to Steve because he's wearing a tie. Yeah, absolutely. You should listen to everything I say today when I'm wearing a tie. It, it makes him both less funny and more believable. That's none, Dennis, neither of those don't make me get a tie out for next week. <laughs> I would love to see George in just his regular t-shirt, but with a with a tie. I was considering it actually. <laughs> Leo, what about uh, subject access requests? The the idea that you're supposed to be able to go to a website or an entity that uh, that has that data and be able to request the information that they know about you. What's the concerns there, and how are you supposed to even look into you know, the hand of those types of requests. So core has a lot of things to address as a lot of it have figured out depending on what your data flows are like. So for example, if you're talking about uh, commenters or subscribers, a lot of that is being worked on actively. Um, there are some questions that I have at the edges, for example, like multi-site or forums, like really, really big stuff. I still don't think we have a clear answer yet how that will work, you know, architecturally. I started the evolutions and directions on, on hooks and how to gather that in a sense. But when it comes to, you know, request for export, request for erasure, the, the key piece is we need the right tooling to be able to gather that data to, so that it's, it's bundled together. And as long as people are treating the fields in WordPress appropriately and not putting sensitive data in places where it shouldn't be, then the tools will work by default. Um, additionally, there's some other questions about upstream. Uh, so if you're working with an ad network uh, and you have data that is personal information that's stored outside of WordPress, the tools in WordPress aren't inherently going to be able to support those because the endpoints don't exist together. They're, they're unbundled. So if you've got data that's existing elsewhere that needs to be consented on and people are requesting for uh, export or erasure or you know, correction or what, one of those subject access uh, rights, you won't necessarily be able to work with that unless you build an interface or you think about that interface. And that isn't a simple thing. Um, so again, I think part of GDPR tries to make people think about how to collect less data from the top and think about how to have less to worry about. Uh, and if you choose to have more to worry about, you're going to have to worry about it. I mean, we just heard in the, in the in the news recently about how a lot of these um, uh, DNS uh, providers are now making it so that they just want to make sure that they're clearing out all their caches, clearing out all of their logs, clearing out all their everything. You have uh, uh, 1.1.1.1 um, DNS. You have uh, uh, 8.8.8.8. You got you know Quad9. You have all these different companies that are kind of doing this stuff, and they're wanting to make sure. I mean, this is DNS. This is just like... This is the yellow pages of the internet that's going around and they're just saying, you know what, we want to forget that you even asked for this stuff. And so if they're doing this sort of thing, then I think um, having websites like, you know, like the things that we're either uh, doing ourselves or we're doing for our customers, we need to kind of uh, provide a little bit of guidance in that or at least tell, let them know that there's um, this types of things that we need to worry about. So the most extreme example that I can think of on the internet 
uh, that's worthy of note uh, on this topic is probably Manchester United. So they literally said, we're not going to take any data past the 25th unless you re-opt it. There's a brand new form, brand new consent. They ran up videos. They have like really important sports stars. You know, Manchester United is like the New York Yankees of Europe, uh, mm -hmm. for better or worse. And, you know, they, the fact that they're having their, their top players talk about, you know, sensitivity and love, loving your fans and this whole thing, because they really want people to reconsent. They want to do it the right way. So they're taking the most extreme version, which is probably overkill for the vast majority of organizations. But it is something that provides transparency. It does, it is, it does provide trust in the institution. And it actually probably is the best way to do this. It's just that it's complicated and probably overkill. That's so something that I... <laughs> That's something I wanted to kind of comment as Leo's Leo's take on this and Leo's presentation on this is so positive because it really is at the core the idea that your data is yours and I think we're seeing it played out large on you know in our congressional hearings with Facebook. Uh, uh, your data is yours and protecting it is a positive thing and the GDPR is going to make that thing much more. Uh, uh, a positive experience for us. It just seems like it's a you know it's a business hurdle to overcome because we need to make sure that one we're protecting ourselves, two we're protecting our clients, and three that we're uh, understanding and explaining this in an appropriate legal forum. But ultimately, we're going to end up theoretically, at least in Leo's opinion, <laughs> in a better place than we are now in understanding what we're giving people and why we're giving it to them. So uh, right, I, I want to pull this up, by the way. The testimony that in Congress uh, that happened quickly followed up with something called the Consent Act, which I think is not extreme enough. I think we actually just need full-blown GDPR. Like we should 100% take the same regulation and make it happen here in the US. Uh, and you know, if we're going to do it, do it all the way. Don't, don't have to do it. Um, and consent doesn't go completely all the way uh, in ways that you know, we deserve. Steve, you had something to say? I was just going to say, you know, from an agency standpoint, uh, this hasn't happened yet, but what if I have a client that says, you know, I don't want to change. I don't want to change what we're doing, right? Um, and they don't agree with what we propose. Are we still on the hook? Uh, and I'm asking that as if you're a lawyer. Well, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> um, I mean, I think what you have to do is the same kind of thing you would have if you had a client who told you they didn't want to worry about security, right? You have given them the information and you need to have them kind of provide you with some kind of signed acknowledgement that you have provided that consent. I'm not saying that's going to protect you, but it certainly is going to go a long way to help you enforce any kind of legal ramifications of it later on. So I think if you're if you're going to be going just like what we do with uh, with credit card processors, you want to make sure that the credit card processor is PCI compliant. You want to make sure that the pl the places that you're putting in uh, sensitive data for uh, medical companies and and doctors and all that stuff with HIPAA compliance. Mm -hmm. um, this is yet another thing that we need to look into to make sure that the way in which data is being stored, how it's being stored, how long it's being stored. And all those things with the vendors that we're working with um, is, you know, they're actually staying compliant with this as well. So just because you can write great code, if you're not, you know, taking care of your um, your data appropriately, then, uh, you know, that's something we need to really make sure we. I'm just wondering if there if there is a way as an agency, like you said, if there was something I could sign to say, listen, I gave these warnings, I did all these things, right, so that I can protect myself as an agency if my client's doing something that is 
non-GDPR GDPR compliant. Oh, there is. There is. You can fire your client. I can. Right? I, may, I may not want to. So um, you want to do the YouTube route where YouTube says, we'll host all the stuff, but if you put anything bad on here, it's up to the person who owns the thing to come to me and say, hey, um, you know, you have, you're, you're using my data incorrectly. I want my data removed from here and remove it. I mean, so, that's pretty much what YouTube does. Let's talk about law for really, 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 really short Ooh, amount of time. Let's all get it. Let's all get the suits <laughs> on real quick. As okay. short as possible. But, and let's get a little controversial while we're at it. So, uh, I, I am not a lawyer. I'll start there and I'll, call, I'll probably say that I get at least twice more, but, um, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act talks about the responsibility of internet service providers and who does what. And this is actually a really important part of First Amendment law and internet law, and this is something that we should all understand deeply. And uh, so Section 230 basically puts the burden on not the content provider. And by ISPs, this is also websites, this is hosts, this is someone like, say, Automatic or Liquid Web, you know, people who are here. Uh, and as a reality, you know, we we are conduits. We are not necessarily the people who own that content. And sometimes we are very intimately close to that content. We don't necessarily do that content. So uh, the new law is at CIPRA, I believe, the the most recent proposal that eventually shut down uh, Backpage and closed the uh, the personal section in Craigslist. This changes Section 230. This says that the people who host content or people who work with content now carry part of that responsibility. Hmm. So. In American law, we don't really have clarity whether 230 is true or this new precedence, which is focused primarily around child human trafficking and child porn, which is a really severe issue. These things matter and we should address them, but 230 is also very important. So what I think will happen is some bad things might happen. Someone might get sued and this will probably go to the Supreme Court and this will be a really big deal for First Amendment, for privacy, for data, for all these things that matter. And in reality, you know, we as internet service providers should not bear the burden. We should not close down corners of the internet. We should allow things to exist. We should be very careful about how these things and what they happen. Uh, and to call out the the zipper conversation, there you talk, you look at any of the human trafficking groups that were talking about this. They mentioned it very clearly that by shutting down this third space where these things are happening, good good and bad things are happening, it makes it much harder to track and do these things effectively. Um, and this is a really big issue that's a corollary to the data privacy issue. It's about internet privacy. It's about freedom of information. It's about the open web. If we make the web closed or regulated, we're going to have some really weird issues that are really hard to deal with. So I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I don't know. You should sound like one. I'm just saying. It was a great I'm not... I'm not a lawyer, but I did read To Kill a Mockingbird twice, and everything you said makes perfect sense. <laughs> and I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I object. <laughs> um, one item that we haven't actually touched on, and it was something that as we started digging in uh, at Pixel Jar, uh, <laughs> totally freaked our, our minds out, which is uh, our, our address books, our contacts, and how that is uh, affected by the GDPR and how, <laughs> how, how far do way? we take, how far do we take that? That's identifying personal information that we're storing in a database. Okay. And by the way, just to call this out, cause I got it wrong. It's FOSTA. Uh, uh, it is fight online sex trafficking act, which sounds innocuous, but really, really important for discussion as we talk about open web and privacy issues. Mm -hmm. And not at all related to 
your contacts. Yeah. It, it, it's also Australian for beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, my friends are awesome. So, so let's talk, let's talk a, let's talk a couple minutes about about contacts then. I mean, so the the idea of having uh, stuff stored both on your phone, on your computer, that could also be stored either on um, you know on a server being uh, either Google or it could be your internet service provider if you're old school and you're using like Verizon for your stuff. I mean, it could be any of those sorts of things where your data can be stored there and then harvested. Which also means that things like if you used any app that wants to say, hey, I would like to uh, harvest all of your contact data so we can uh, figure out who's friends with you on these this game so you can uh, play with them, um, that that becomes a thing too. So yeah, um, how, how are you guys looking into that, Dave? Is it is it something that... I sort mean, of like this? Yeah. I, uh, I, I mean, call out one of the worst players in the space, LinkedIn. I remember it has 11 different prompts to request for your user information and all of your user contacts. And like, I really like LinkedIn. I think they're doing a lot of really cool things, but this is not the way we should be handling contact information. People should opt in to build their networks, not be forced to do it and to accidentally click it. And like at least once I have accidentally emailed 600 people that I didn't intend to, to asking them to join my LinkedIn network. <laughs> undo. Because it's stupid, and they work really hard to get those emails, and they work really hard to make them try to build my network. It's like, this is not the reality. I don't want to add my art teacher happens to my email contact book to my LinkedIn page. That's not what I want to do. Especially so, with LinkedIn or places like it where you can actually log in using multiple email addresses. So you can you don't actually have to have one email address, which always cracks me up when I see people on LinkedIn with like five different LinkedIn accounts, and I'm like, like really, I mean, just assign one of them to multiple emails. But um, those sorts of things, I mean, yeah, that, I could see how that could get um, pretty messy pretty quick. So the answer is, I, I, I don't think that we have a good policy decision internally yet on how we're handling that, but we are definitely, um, there are definitely gonna be more questions asked uh, as contacts come in. And one of the things that we do is, you know, since you get leads in as a, as a company, if those leads don't become clients, we are taking a very aggressive approach on purging old information from anybody who we're not actually working with. So that's so responsible of you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're storing them, okay, so I have a question about that. If you're storing them as like Google contacts, right? Does Google take care of that for you? Or is that still your responsibility? I'm, I'm, as, I'm asking. I mean, it's, it's I, absolutely your responsibility. I, I wonder this question. I don't think we have a solid answer on this yet. And I'm really curious to see what the big four are going to do. I, I mentioned this last week, uh, but like the complexities of what Google does, what Amazon does, what Apple does, what Facebook does. And there are some other players as well. I mentioned LinkedIn, you know, Yahoo, uh, Yelp, uh, even Meetup and WeWork and their whole network of information. You have these really, really deep, complex data stores where information can and, and very likely is used together in ways that most users don't understand. Under GDPR, explicit consent is required for that data to exist and that data to be linked and that data to be processed, that data to be used. I don't know how they're going to do that effectively. And I don't know how they're going to make it actually elegant and and seamless. Um, and I, I wonder if business models are going to shift because they probably have to. I wonder how these policies are going to be defined. And we don't have a lot of you know, clear decisions and directions on this. 
Um, analytics, Google Analytics just announced this week uh, their policies, which was really interesting. Um, and I'm still curious to see how people are going to respond because a lot of people put private information in Google Analytics violating their terms, uh, and they're not supposed to. <laughs> and it's going to be interesting to see how that shifts online marketing spaces and how people respond to it. After I saw your talk at uh, the meetup, um, you mentioned about geolocation uh, and tracking tracking IP addresses in Google Analytics. And there actually is a flag where you can say in Google Analytics, do not track IP address. And we immediately change those on all our websites. Uh, it'll still track region, right? So you still get the same kind of information, but you're not tracking specific IP address. But the and, cookie set on your browser still has to be opt-in. Right? You still have to have some opt-in in that collection. And if you're processing that data in any way for other services on the website, i.e. advertising, there still needs to be an additional opt-in for that. And it's you, Leo. God. Fine. <laughs> fine. I, but also, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah, even a couple months back, um, uh, Apple put in um, uh, some changes where they are not allowing uh, MAC addresses to be seen on your phone. So if you use uh, Fling or one of these types of processes of being able to kind of enumerate a network, I mean, I able to see any of the uh, other MAC addresses that are on the network, which makes my job a lot more difficult because I have to carry around a computer instead of just using my phone to do these sorts of things. But um, it, yeah, essentially anonymizing more of the data that's both on your local network as well as um, you know, globally and regionally. So, yeah. and there's Crazy also a hardware APIs. You know, like there was this question about someone like Uber, for example, knowing about battery life. If they know that your battery life is below X percent, they can potentially use that data to charge uh, more for a ride, for example, right? Like data inherently that is part of our devices can be used in ways that we don't quite understand and expect. And it's our our jobs as technologists, as developers, as agency owners to explain and understand these issues and, and advocate on behalf of best practices and train people to become better data stewards. Definitely. Well, I want to say thank you very much for all of you for being on the show, hanging out with us, talking about GDPR as we have for two episodes now. I mean, we we're, we, we haven't even talked about Gutenberg this much. It's, it's pretty crazy to con consider that we're uh, <laughs> talking about GDPR this much. And I think GDPR is way more important than it comes down to uh, Gutenberg and how we're going to be uh, dragging blocks around on the screen. So without any of that, um, we, you know, we're not going to be protecting ourselves here. So thank you very much for all of you for hanging out and uh, talking about this uh, very sensitive topic. And we're able to discuss it in a public forum like this. And go over to our website at wprcore.com. You can click on the link there to subscribe. And uh, you can find all the show notes of all the different links and everything that we talked about um, for this particular episode, both on YouTube, on um, our uh, podcast, as well as on the website. So you guys have a good rest of your day. Talk to you all later. Bye-bye.